Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Chris Petrescu, former data strategist at WorldQuant and now founder at CP Capital. Chris is a familiar face around the alternative data world, and in our conversation, we talk about the old days of sourcing data sets, how the data scouting and strategy market has moved on, and big trends for this year. I began by asking Chris how he first got into alternative data. Sure, sure. Um, I've always been in data-centric roles, not necessarily alternative data, but my first job out of school, I worked at Pepsi for a number of years, and it was constant obsession about internal data, connecting data to systems, enabling our finance teams to better do their jobs. And that was really my basis of data in general. After that, I parlayed it into some investment banking conferences. I would have some of my friends sneak me in there with, uh, with actually the name CP Capital. That's how I, uh, the firm was named. Funny short story there. So, so you've now, you're called CP Capital now, but we're talking, sorry, your company is called CP Capital because you're Chris Petrescu, but you're talking many years ago, then CP Capital was the fake name of, of what you used to, to sneak into, into conferences. Exactly. It was. So wow. I had a couple of friends who would, PepsiCo couldn't attend an investment banking conference, but CP Capital could fly under the radar. Very, you know, innocuous name, didn't, didn't raise any flags. And I mean that is that is that is guerrilla marketing. I mean, however many years, decades before, you were creating a buzz for this company that you hadn't created yet. I love that. I wish I could. I dig up the history. Yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, sorry, I interrupted. So you were you were getting into um, getting into these events. Sure. So I would attend these events, and um, at the end of these panels, I would speak with the CEOs and CFOs of various companies. And it got me interested in the idea that if I had information on these firms, of course, not from the CEO themselves, but the data that they talked about in these events, if there was a way to capture that information and use it for trading, it was always of interest to me. So that really piqued my, um, my desire to pivot into the more financial hedge fund space. What kind of, what kind of, so what kind of information were we talking about back then? Just you would hear a CFO talk about sales or talk about expense cutting or talk about certain jobs that they were hiring for. And these are all data sets now that you can glean on these companies and you don't have to wait every quarter to hear them speak about it on the investment call. You can have yeah. various data sets that essentially predict these metrics for you. For sure. Okay. So you, and you were, so you'd already made that um, made that connection. Although, so we're talking, so you're at, you're, um, you're at PepsiCo at the time and that was kind of 2010 to no, 2009, 2013, I want to say. So, so alternative data was beginning to be a thing and you're at the same time, um, having a kind of similar idea that, that this is a world that you could be, you could be getting into. Right. I didn't know it existed yet, but I, I liked mm. the idea of, of having some more information other than what's being broadcasted on CNBC to inform trading decisions. Sure. Okay. And so, and so what, what was the next step? So next step, um, I came across a mutual friend of mine who was working at WorldCon at the time, and he described a role there, a data strategy role 
that was based on scouring the world for information that portfolio managers at hedge funds, at the hedge fund can use for trading. And it was an extremely exciting role to me, kind of um, crystallized the idea that this data did exist. There were roles at hedge funds that facilitated this. And it was um, a nice way for me to break into the hedge fund without going the the more typical investment banking route before you do the make the hedge fund hop. For those who aren't initiated, could you possibly just introduce it quickly, please? Sure. Uh, WorldQuant is a large pod under the Millennium umbrella. Millennium is also a large multi-strat hedge fund. Multi-strat meaning under the Millennium umbrella, there are firms like WorldQuant who run quantitative trading strategies. There are fundamental-based shops. There are commodity traders. There are um, credit traders kind of runs the whole gambit. And WorldQuant is um, kind of the flagship quant pod, if you can even call it a pod. It's very much an entity of its own under Millennium. It's got 600 employees, is your your LinkedIn says, which is, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty big, pretty big as an employer. Yeah, a bunch of employees, heavy research shop, a um, bunch of offices around the world. Mm. And so what was, the, what was the role of a data strategist at WorldQuant? So data strategist was to accelerate the intake of data for the firm. And there were a couple of pieces to that. Of course, there is the actual scouting for it, which is a little bit more commoditized these days. We can get into that later. But scouring the the world for this type of data, whether it was following the Bloombergs of the world when they came out with a new data set or following a new alternative data trend. For example, when, when satellites started counting cars, when companies started measuring app traffic, location data, credit card information, this data, um, these data categories didn't really exist five, six, seven years ago, and it was our job to to find them and in some cases essentially create them by calling on these companies and convincing them to sell us this data. What was the most, if you can, you know, obviously it was a complex job with a lot to it, but what did you find? Did you find that there was a one real trick is for i mean it, it, you can kind of give this away now probably because you know five years later it's 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 probably gone but was there a was there a, a a trick which got you there first in terms of finding new data was there was there a particular useful outlet in 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 keeping your ear to the ground in this in this in this field i i think it, the the idea was to come at it from a bunch of directions so the the conferences and events that we would attend and often speak at and i still do speak at are a great way to meet interesting people, but sometimes that is a little bit too late. That data is already in the marketplace. There's other ways to to find data, whether it is following you know VC startups. A lot of these companies don't even know that they are sort of data companies in disguise. Like at WorldQuant, we had a saying that essentially every day every company was a data company. They might just not know it yet. So. Um, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but so we would have a bunch of different ways through our networks to find these firms and sometimes the equivalent of almost cold calling a firm. And when that firm, we would explain that we were a hedge fund. And when they would say, what is a hedge fund? That was uh, a lot of times it was a a green flag because they hadn't (laughs) been, they hadn't been found by anybody before. And we had a green field to convince them to try to sell us what they were collecting. I mean, this was the time of um, Cambridge Analytica in terms of, I mean, obviously that's a specific kind of da- data, but um, 
but you were there for three years, actually. So it was kind of before and before and during the Cambridge Analytica time. I just see Cambridge Analytica as a bit of a high watermark when data turned evil in the public eye a little bit, and the the, the perils and the risks became more uh, more consciousness around it. And so I imagine that kind of thing might have affected your phone calls if you're ringing up and saying, "Look, we want to we want to um, unleash. Uh, we want to um, you know." Uh, like create the capability of using your data for other purposes i imagine was there a before and after of that of that scandal for you um for me not really i think the, the good thing about the hedge fund space is they were well that we or they have been essentially protecting themselves from this type of information for a long time so the biggest concern at a hedge fund probably more sensitive after cambridge than before is the fact that they don't want any personal Identi- you know, PII, personally identifiable information. So before we can even bring a data set into the firm, it doesn't have names, phone numbers, addresses, email addresses, so God forbid, social security numbers. So hedge funds pretty much screen this data out during the mm-hmm. compliance process. So, you know, a Cambridge Analytica might have sparked a couple of um, eyebrows, but hedge fund data was relatively unaffected. Sure. It just didn't really come up. That's interesting. Right. Well, Cambridge, for example, we probably spoke with them at one of my prior firms, but um, either they didn't pass that compliance process or they weren't selling the data in the in the format that we needed or they couldn't remove that type of information. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that back in back in these days. So so we're, at WorldQuant, we're kind of over, uh, 2014 to 2017. Um, you mentioned that back in those days, there was kind of satellite was coming online, and there were there were new, um, you know, there were new types of data sets, which which now are perhaps a little bit more familiar in in twenty twenty one. What was where was where was alternative data coming from at that time, and what was coming online, and and can you can you kind of paint the picture about the alternative data data sets that that you were seeing at the time? Yeah, I think if you rewind that far. Um, it was, you know, these days there's always Wall Street Journal articles talking about alternative data. CNBC is talking about it. You have all these firms, um, you know, becoming talking heads on the network who run data companies. And that didn't exist. These conferences, um, you know, Battlefin was a, was a pioneer in the space. Um, you know, they went from having 10 to 15 vendors at their conference to 100 plus. And you had firms like New Data and Eagle Alpha copy that model and um, really commoditized and commercialized the, the data sourcing. So now there is, um, there's dozens of ways to get, to find and source data sets. And these didn't exist back then. So we were, I'll take satellite, for example, you know, Orbital Insight was the first mover in counting cars. And um, so they would tell you how many cars are outside of Walmart and Bed Bath & Beyond and Best Buy. And the theory was if there were more cars than there were, you know, at the same time last year, more cars, more people, more people, maybe they're buying things. So that's that was part of the thesis. But the more you look at that data, if you don't have essentially the other side of that data, which would be what are people spending in the stores and what are people buying online, just the fact that there's more cars in the parking lot isn't really a signal in predicting um, a company's revenue by itself. It certainly you know, could be a puzzle piece um, indicator, but without pairing it with other data sets, it doesn't have value, a, a huge amount of value by itself. So 
we came you're, across you're saying that you're, you're you're saying that now in 2021 was that something which it it took you a while to discover or i mean at the time was there much more optimism and much more belief that you know one data set like that could have have signal like was it a was it a more innocent time a little bit there is definitely hype and, and that comes with uh first off the company's pricing this data it was priced at a premium in the beginning and as entrance you know there was First, there was one company, then there were two, then there were six. So um, the price came down drastically. And there was definitely a, a hype around it, but I think it was a learning experience for when this next craze came to be not cautious because, you know, at, at a quant fund, you always have this fear of missing out. Maybe this could be the one. So you, the best firms like the world quants of the world essentially look at everything and, um, you know, they try to be as quick to look at everything as possible with the learnings of the fact that a lot of these data sets will come down in price, will come, you know, will change in quality over time. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of, in terms of, so it was counting cars at the time, were there any other, other data sets, which, which you particularly remember as being distinctive or, or what was, do you remember any data sets, which really, you know, which caused the storm within the, within the, within the firm when you got them in terms of this is exactly, there's a lot of alpha in there, which, which other, co other companies hadn't discovered. And I obviously don't want you to disclose anything, which is still, um, you know, dodgy territory now. Right. Well, I can speak more generally. I think there are, there are definitely crazes around certain data sets, but a mature firm realizes that there's no one data set that has all of this alpha that you can essentially plug in. It's about adding this piece to maybe it's a blind spot in your investment process. So mm. location data was one that, um, you know, the industry kind of jokes about it, that either everybody figured it out or nobody figured it out because there's been um, a bunch of firms that have gone boom and bust in the last three to four to five years. And that's a symptom of, um, you know, the alpha, perhaps not being there at the price point that these companies raise money. It's also um, a symptom of regulations that have happened where when it comes to how these companies are collecting this location data, sometimes they can share it, sometimes they can't. And, and often more often than not, they can't these days. Um, so location data has, has obviously, um, yeah, run, run, run slightly afoul. Well, um, I think, you know, one, one, one piece to correct that during coronavirus, for example, before Corona location data was probably used way too precisely. You're, you're trying to predict foot traffic at Starbucks at such a granular level. If it's off by one or 2%, these firms were upset. And during Corona location data actually had a bit of a resurgence because people didn't care about two or three percentage points. They just wanted to know if people were going out or not. Um, so you get more of these mobility statistics. You can easily tell if somebody's driving to work. So instead mm -hmm. of saying, are they walking to, is, are they walking inside of a Starbucks or is that a Chipotle? You have more of these broad stroke use cases, which I think are, have definitely more of a macro concept to them, but they're interesting as well. Sure. Okay. Um, and so since WorldQuant, you have, um, I see you've been a, a advisory or you were an advisory board member at Battlefin, the, the, the um, kind of scouting company that you name checked. So you saw 
scouting becoming more of a more of a business and 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 got involved as it as it as it matured um but so broadly speaking have you remained a kind of data scout data strategist would that be would that be a fair um uh, a fair title still or is it or have you have you spread beyond or or what would you how would you describe yourself now yeah, I, I would say data strategy is definitely the, the core function. So people confuse this with market data research or data scouts, right? A data scout, in my mind, is somebody who's just kind of looking at the internet, writing down company names in a database, um, maybe writing things, you know, metadata around those companies. Where are they from? What type of data do they sell? But they don't have the context of whether this data has any perceived value, investment use cases, they haven't used the data before themselves either. So um, in the strategy world at a firm like, like WorldQuant, I was privileged to um, speak with the traders there to hear about which data sets worked and which data sets didn't. And there were data sets that from the outside world, corporate fundamentals, for example, or estimate revisions that you can get from FactSet, Bloomberg, Reuters, and S&P. And an outsider might think, well, what's the difference? There's no difference. And um, my expertise these days is, is a summation of little tidbits of information of which of those data sets have true value for quant firms, which ones are, are priced accordingly, which ones might work better in different regions than others. So that's really the strategy component is having a knowledge base of what's best in breed in, in each data category. And that, and that best in breed idea in my mind is not because I run um, a company that's paying me to put this vendor at the top of the list. It's I've used it and that's my fiduciary to my clients to give them the best data, in my opinion, right? They're trialing it and signing and buying it um, on their own, but to guide them along that process. So that's really more of the, the proactive strategy piece instead of the just data scouting piece. Got it. Um, you talk about best in, best in breed data sets in each in each segment. Um, I suspect it'll be more of an art than a science in some ways, and and kind of um, leaning on your on your experience. Are there? Would you be able to say any things that all the best in breed data sets have in common? Like, are there are there any kind of checklists that you have in mind to to kind of get you started to to set you off? Is there anything we can say about all of the best data sets out there? I think, you know, in terms of so certain data sets, you're really concerned more about quality as opposed to alpha, right? So um, if a data set is, is point in time or not, meaning that the history is unadjusted, that if you're getting a five-year data set from this vendor, they are giving you the files kind of unadulterated as you would have received them if you were a client for five years. That is um, an enormous hurdle in the quant world to overcome. So that's number one. And the, the one issue with that is it's not necessarily the easiest to detect. And sometimes the vendors um, will tell you one thing when in fact it's not true. And half of them. So for, so for example, just to, just to um, maybe like nail it down a bit, then somebody might have, might be giving you five years worth of data, but Two years ago, they changed the process by which they collect the data, and they've they they've just tried to make it all look like they didn't change the process. They tried to kind of smooth it out. Um, exactly, or they of, or they yeah. go back and they change and update errors that they have. And and going back and updating the data is fine, but you just have to have a way of um, telling your client that you're doing that. So the issue is, say that um, 
the data is supposed to come in at 9.15 and it always comes in at 9.45, but the timestamp is 9.15, it's essentially a lie. You're not getting that data when the vendor is telling you and it might, it may or may not be accurate. So if they routinely mess up, you know, thousands to millions for uh, mid cap data companies in the UK, for example, and they fix it two weeks later, that's an issue if you're trading live off of that information. You kind of have to know these, you have to know what you would have received. So that's really, um, I think, the biggest deal that, that I'm very hard on vendors for. So transparency and reliability, in a way, um, is, is the key, is the most important thing, is it? Right. I think, you know, if the data is, um, doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll call it data hygiene. If the data isn't what it says it is, it sounds obvious, but... Um, a lot of times it's just simply not, um, you know, the consistency of the data over time is a big deal. If they're, you know, missing certain days or the panel or coverage of data changes drastically over time, that's also not a good thing. The, um, the five year thing, um, seems to come up a lot. Uh, that seems to be another, once you've reached five years, then you become, you enter the kind of, um, you enter a new world, it seems, in terms of um, being use, usable, particularly for quant funds. Is that is that something you're still seeing? Yeah, I would say five years is the general rule. Um, some firms can go down to two years, but the the one thing it's you're looking for a massive amount of observations, right? Even if you have five years of data that's quarterly, it's still barely usable by a quant because that's just simply not enough data points. And if you have two years of data that's delivered every 15 minutes, for example, even though it's less history, can still be potentially useful. And the reason that, that quants need that history is for, for backtesting purposes, they need to see the consistency of it. How does it perform across various economic cycles and things of that nature? Do you think there's still a lot of um, a lot of alpha to be had in finding, in unearthing new data sets in terms of you're saying that that you you were saying that back at WorldQuant there was no such thing as a data set which was you know blow, blow your socks off kind of data set. It was the it was kind of building the model. It was a kind of accretion of 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 data which which kind of overall was 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 building the picture. Do you think now there is still a, a huge amount of value out there which has been un unsourced un un kind of hasn't been unearthed yet? Um, which, which, you know, is, is, is there to be to, uh, as the market matures and as, as perhaps data strategists go out and get it, do you feel like how, how far along do you think we are? I think there's, there's less value in being first. Um, so if you take, for example, investment banking, right, you know, they've been getting killed by, uh, fees getting compressed over time. So if you translate that into the hedge fund space, there's less value in being the first to find the data set. And I think the value curve is shifting much more towards how do we combine these data sets at speed and at scale. So that I think is uh, a more of a competitive advantage than being first these days. What do you mean, sorry, by the investment banking? What, where, where, where are they fitting in? I just meant the idea that, that industries change over time and, and your competitive edge shifts over time. Right. So if it's a race to zero um, in a world where essentially think of every alternative data set is essentially known by everyone. If there's a massive database or if somebody was combining all of these battlefield type of databases into a single one, even at that point, 
then there's a different value proposition. You have to know which data sets do I look at first, which data sets work best together, which data sets are best for my investment strategy or a different region that I'm trading. So I think the value proposition for people like myself, like I was saying earlier, is less is less being first. Um, although there still is value there, there's definitely pockets of, of interesting data sets that come up from time to time, but it's more about um, connecting them with your in, in, uh, existing infrastructure and, and combining them with data sets. So going back to the example of um, car counting, if you were counting cars, but you also had the credit card information and you also had the location data and you also had the online spend of these companies, that ensemble, to steal a word from, from Battlefin, that ensemble of data is way more valuable than just being the first to find um, cars in parking lots. The mosaic is the mosaic. Here a lot. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you're now, you've, uh, I've kind of, I have brought us up to the present day, but let's do it officially. Um, so from January last year, you, you created CP Capital Enterprises. Finally, it actually came into being um, what we'd been waiting for for so long. Um, and uh, so CP Capital advises both sides. You've kind of touched on it, but it, uh, it advises the, it advises the buy side on um, on alternative data sets, and it also advises alternative data providers on how to make themselves more marketable to the buy side. Is that right? That's right. So, and that's really, if you can break up my expertise that way, that's exactly what I've been doing. So, the one side, the hedge fund side, is my um, definitely piece of the bread and butter, where I'm essentially an outsourced data strategy service for firms who don't have that in house. So, firms like you know WorldQuant, not to continue to to make this a pitch for them, but they have a very large in-house data team. So they have an infrastructure of people who are speaking to vendors, meeting internally with PMs. They have um, you know, legal support behind that and they're able to do that. They have the scale, they have the infrastructure. If you are a two-man shop spinning out of a firm like that and you're used to having these luxuries, but you don't necessarily have the budget or the time to wait to find somebody from a large another large fund, I provide that as an outsourced service. So that's, um, I found tremendous success with that so far. And to complement that, I do work with the vendors, which is something that I've done in the past while I was at the hedge fund, essentially pitching vendors how to sell to me. And then they can sell that to anyone. So, so on the flip side, I provide that as a service as well for firms who have never sold to finance and are looking to get into the game. And that could be because they saw an article about data that interested them, or maybe I actually you know, still do cold call-ish firms from time to time to see if there's any, any ability for us to work together. So the two of those, between the two of those, um, definitely have my hands full. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It sounds very um so obviously it's CP it's CP capital and you are CP. So it it uh it sounds it's 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 leaning on your expertise um at the moment in terms of a model. I'm interested in 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 where do you see um the market growing in terms of this 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 kind of Mid middleman space. Um, we've got obviously we've we've you've you've name checked them. We've got the the battlefins, the the eagle alphas, and the um, new datas. Where do you see um, 
how do you see discovery developing um, in the alternative data space? I think the discovery piece is the one piece that's really still getting, um, you know, democratized because there's these events, many of them are free or, you know, cheap enough to, to go to. You've even got other companies that have, um, have websites out there for free that have this data. So the discovery piece, I think, is continuing to get um, commoditized over time, which is, it's not a bad thing for the industry. I think it um, it's really along the lines, I've made this, this, this quote at other events. If I had 50 data companies and I gave them to 100 people, everyone's in the room, they get the data at the same exact time. It would take years before any of that data was you know, commoditized or arbed out because all these firms use the data in dozens of different ways. So um, especially the data sets that I'm more interested in these days, which are less of these, you know, signal-based, you know, buy at the morning, sell at the close, and more factors, raw data, text-based data that are a lot more malleable. You can do a lot more things with them than just simply follow a, a buy-sell signal. But you need a more sophisticated client for that, do you? Sure, you do, but the, that is where it's shifting. So I don't think there's, if you're going to compete in this space, you have to have that level of sophistication. Is this, but is this because you are, you're still, um, so you came from the sophisticated end of the market and the sophisticated buyers are, um, they're trying to keep the edge and they're trying to keep differentiated from as this, as the sector commoditized a little bit more and as, um, data sets become more available and the, the alpha becomes kind of more open to all, um, then potentially in order, if you are trying to keep the edge away from, you know, the mass market, then you need to be moving in these, in these raw data, um, uh, these more raw data parts. So that would kind of bring you there as well as, 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 as CP capital, because those are your, those are your clients. Right. And I, and it doesn't have to be sophisticated. doesn't necessarily mean expensive. So there's um, that. That's one thing I think. As as tough as it seems, the, the barriers to entry are relatively low. Especially, I help. I would argue lower those barriers of entry for smaller and medium sized firms. I provide my expertise, um, spinning up much more quickly than building out this large infrastructure, hiring people around the world. I can get these firms off their feet pretty quickly, and provide that level of expertise for them. Mm. What do you see um, data set wise? Do you have a view as to kind of what's next down the line? What what's kind of the under the undermined area where there's there's kind of maybe about to be a flood or or we're going to see more data sets entering into into this world? I like to see um, more data that breaks up the rest of the the P and L, the profit and loss statement. So you get a lot of data that is that's predicting revenue. How many how many um, widgets are people buying? How many Starbucks coffees people are buying? Things of that nature, but they don't really. There's no true data sets out of the box that can help predict the expense side of that equation. And I think that's an area that I don't see much in that space, but I think it's a definitely an area of potential improvement. And you can go. You can. There are commodities-based data sets, so you could be predicting the price of coffee, perhaps, or, or um, and then and then the 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 materials that go into the cups, you know, for for Starbucks. Is that what you mean by expenses? Yes. Yeah. So take Starbucks for example. You could you or PepsiCo, right? You can break down their commodities exposure 
but then you might not know you have to dig deeper. They might be heavily exposed to sugar prices, but if mm. it's fully hedged, who cares? So that always brings in that additional level of analysis that I think you'll still need to, to marry fundamental data with all of these ideas. But I think the expense side of the equation is an area of opportunity. And then you've got, and then you've got the HR style, more, not HR, but the personnel style data sets, you know, the Revelio Labs type, which can, which can show you wages and fluctuating wages. And so that's another, so the human capital expense is you can, you can map that as well. I mean, are you saying you think that data sets exist, but they're not being perhaps um, packaged in the right way or presented in the right way or used in the right way? Right. Well, you know, Revelio and some, and Revelio is great. I like Ben. Um, and a lot of these other jobs related data sets are more focused around um, if certain firms are hiring engin more engineers than they're hiring financial analysts. Like Goldman Sachs is, is famous for they've been hiring engineers hand over fist. So maybe they're mm. building some type of tech infrastructure there. And other other firms will tell you if um, if Ford removes a bunch of job postings from their Minnesota website, maybe they're closing that factory down, something like that. But I haven't seen a lot of research in, in the cost side of it. So it's it's great that firms are hiring. That's generally bullish. Um, when firms fire, it's generally bearish, but it's more of uh, less of around, well, our forecast for their expenses is X, and this data tells us that it's different than that. So obviously, 2020 was the year of, of COVID, and obviously that kind of kicked off um, alternative data in many ways, and we've seen um, we've seen more government interest, and we've seen um, generally more interest coming out of COVID. We're now into 2021, and and you know putting your putting your kind of crystal ball in front of you. Uh, what what can you see is 2021 all about in terms of alternative data? I think there's a continuation of some themes. So. There's firms that are continuing to acquire and merge with companies. So you, you've got S&P acquiring IHS market. You have a, a bunch of other smaller firms getting swallowed up by some of these bigger shops. I think that that will continue. That's one trend that will continue. And I think the rise, the, the re-rise, if you will, of social media, that's another, that's another one. There were um, dozens of firms that measured uh, Twitter sentiment five, six years ago, and there's a handful, uh, really only one that I trust today. Uh, that would be social market analytics. So, okay. um, um, but that's, and would you say that's a kind of GameStop phenomenon? I think it's, it's GameStop phenomenon. And it's just in general, the, the, the obsession with what is the public opinion of anything, whether it's GameStop or somebody getting thrown off of a United flight or a, a product recall or people like with Apple, when they had the iPhones bending, that was picked up on social media way before it was picked up anywhere else. And social moves at a speed that's faster than, than general news, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that will continue to be um, a pillar of all of these trading strategies, not to mention the fact that recently with GameStop and AMC and all of those fun companies, people are looking at it less for an alpha factor and, and more of sometimes for a risk factor. And I'll, I'll say that because I've spoken to some firms who um, they will just restrict trading in names that are trending on Reddit for that day. They just don't want to be involved in a company that is essentially unpredictable. 
So they'll just restrict they'll just restrict them, hold or liquidate, you know, slowly sell or buy positions. Yeah. And they don't want anything to do with it. And then the risk managers the same way, or even some of the index managers, somebody's trying to replicate the Russell 3000 or something like that, they can do that in a more smoothed out way, screening out some of these names. And you can argue maybe they're giving up some potential upside, but they're really limiting the downside. And I think that's what another piece that social will continue to play a huge role in. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's a, um, that's, that's something to watch for sure. Um, Chris, Thank you very much indeed for uh, for for joining today and for giving such a good um, over, overview of 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 the kind of data strategy world of the last last uh, six or seven years. Um, and uh, I wish CP Capital um, all the all the best for the for the future and and, and yourself as well. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. Uh, appreciate the opportunity once again.